Welcome to the Kaleo Life Podcast. You can find more resources for gospel living and information about us by going to our website, kaleo.community. Enjoy today's sermon. So please open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Uh, we finished going through the book of Joel last week. And our original plan was to move straight into the book of Ephesians. Uh, but Jordan and I were talking and we decided to take a few Sundays this summer to cover a few topics that we, uh, we think that are important for us as a church to grow in. Uh, and one of these, one of these topics is uh, spiritual gifts. Um, usually, like you have experience, we like to go through, you know, we like to go one book of the Bible at a time, right? We, we went through Joel and we studied chapter by chapter and we, you know, paused in, in different verses. When we go through Ephesians, we like to do the same. Um, but we believe that there's also a time to talk about topics that we perhaps we, we choose and think, okay, you know, it would be good for us as a church to learn more about spiritual gifts, about how to use our spiritual gifts and so that's what we're going to do today. We're going to look at chapter 12. Next Sunday, we're going to look at chapter 13. And the Sunday after that, God willing, we're going to look at chapter 14. And I just want to give you a quick disclaimer. We're not going to go, you know, verse by verse, or it's not even an exposition of chapter 12. Uh, mostly, I want us to learn some principles on spiritual gifts, gifts based on the letter of Uh, Paul's letter to the Corinthians. Um, so let's pray. Let's uh, ask for God's help. God, we thank you that you are sovereign. We thank you that you are building your church. You are building your kingdom. We thank you that everything belongs to you. We trust you. You are sovereign. You are perfect. You are good in everything that you do. Thank you for this local church. Thank you for the privilege of being a part of your church. Lord, I pray that you teach us through your word today. I pray that you fill me with your Holy Spirit to speak about this important topic. And you fill each one of us with your spirit to understand your word, to understand what you want to teach us today, Lord. And Lord, we pray that your son Jesus would be glorified because that's what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit glorifies Jesus. Please guide us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so I'm going to read chapter 12, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Now, concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says, Jesus is accursed. And no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except in the Holy Spirit. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. 
And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one, by the one Spirit, to another working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. But just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one Spirit. For the body does not consist of one members of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, "Because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body," that would not make it any less part of the body. And if the ear should say, "Because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body," that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But, but as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all, were single, if all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need, no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor, and our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed it, appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the higher gifts. And I will show you a still more excellent way. This is the word of God. So just to give you a little bit of, uh, of background information, um, I know that the topic of spiritual gifts is a... a highly discussed topic, and it is a complicated topic. And I know that one of the main issues with it is people who say, yes, all of these gifts listed here are still in continuation. They still continue. We could call this side continuationist. And then on this side, there are people 
that say actually some of these gifts have already ceased. They have stopped. They already fulfilled their purpose. Uh, they were more for the time of the apostles. But when the last apostle died, then some of these gifts ceased. And so we can call this side cessationist. So without getting into it, um, uh, I guess what I'm trying to say is we're not really going to get into that discussion today. I think that next week when we touch on chapter 13, we're going to talk a little bit more about it. But just to give you a little bit of background, uh, we as a church, our position is that all of the, all of the gifts of the Spirit continue today, uh, with exception of the gift of apostle, because that was an office that was only reserved for the 12. But we believe that all of them continue. And um, it's interesting because I grew up in a church that it was extremely conservative and it was also cessationist. So I grew up thinking that, that the gift of tongues and the gift of prophecy and the gift of healing, all of those gifts, gifts had ceased. And so my church was so conservative that when I went to college, when I went to Bible college, and I saw uh, some of the other students raising their hands when they were singing, I was like, whoa, what's happening here? Like, <laughs> these guys are are a little too crazy. That's, that's how conservative my, my church was uh, growing up. And by conservative, I just mean they were, they, they were cessationists. They, they were not open to the continuation of some of the gifts. But as I was in college, I started looking into the topic from a, from a biblical perspective. I started studying the passages that, that, that the people said, that the people who said that the gifts had ceased I started looking into those passages and, and I came to the, at least to the theological conclusion that there is nothing saying that they have stopped. And so that's one thing. Now, the problem that I, that I have run into is, okay, how do we, how do we practice them, right? If, if we truly believe that there is nothing saying, nothing in the Bible saying that those gifts have ceased, Okay, how do we exercise those gifts? How do, how do we use them in the life of the church? And that's something that, you know, just to be honest with you, we're still, we're still working through that and we're still uh, discovering. Um, but one of the things that I do want to clarify is that uh, here in Kaleo, we, we don't believe that that is a primary doctrine. In other words, if you come and say, hey, Ben or Jordan, actually... I believe that some of the gifts have ceased. We'll be like, okay, that's great. You know, we, we can still fellowship. We can still be, be friends. We can still work together for the kingdom of God. Uh, and, you know, I'm sure we can have uh, discussions and, and conversations about the gifts. But, but we believe that God will still use you for his glory. And God can still use us for his glory. So let's talk about a few principles about spiritual gifts. And the first principle that I want us to see here is that those who confess Jesus as Lord have the Spirit. So if you notice at the beginning of the passage, Paul is saying, now concerning the spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be um, uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says, Jesus is accursed. 
And no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. So as many of you know, as, as, as we have studied, I'm sure, before, the church of the Corinthians, the church of Corinth, they had some issues of spiritual maturity. And one of, the, one of the things that they wanted to know for sure is, okay, who are the really spiritual people and who are the people that are not so spiritual? And it seems like there was a little bit of a debate there where some of them saying, you have to, you have, to have these gifts in order to show that you are a spiritual Christian, a spiritual believer. And then on the other hand, it sounds like there were some people that said, no, really, you don't need any of these gifts to show that you're a spiritual Christian. And so Paul settles the argument and says, you know what? None of you would, would have even been able to say Jesus is Lord on the first place if you didn't have the Holy Spirit. In other words, he's saying the mere fact that you are a part of the church, the fact that you have confessed Jesus as your Lord means that you have the Spirit. And if we think about it, that's, that's, that's really the, the case with all of us, right? Apart from the Spirit of God at work in us, none of us would have said Jesus is Lord. We would still be worshiping the idols that we were worshiping before, right? That's what Paul tells them. You were, you were worshiping these idols, but now that you have the Spirit, you can confess that Jesus is Lord, right? I don't think, I don't think that he was saying, some of you are saying Jesus is a curse and, and then you're not, you're not spiritual. Rather, he's saying, before you received the Spirit, you were saying Jesus is a curse. You were worshiping idols. You were in your unbelief. You were enemies of God. But now that you have, now that you have come to faith in Jesus, now that you have received the Holy Spirit, you can declare that Jesus is Lord. So do we want to know who has the Spirit? Well, it is those who confess that Jesus is Lord. It is those who live their lives submitted to the Lordship of Christ. Those are the ones who have the Spirit of God. So in other words, it's not necessary to have showy displays of spiritual gifts in order to prove that someone has received the Holy Spirit. Rather, the, the, the main proof, the main evidence that someone has the Spirit is the simple fact that they believe in the Lord Jesus as their Savior and their Lord. We also see that the Holy Spirit will always glorify Jesus, right? So again, he says, no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. We studied the book of Acts recently and remember that when Jesus gives them the, the uh, you know, right before Jesus ascends, he asks the disciples, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So the, the disciples needed the Holy Spirit so that they could be Jesus' witnesses. The Holy Spirit is the one that testifies about Jesus. No, remember John, uh, John 16, when the disciples are sad because Jesus is leaving. Well, Jesus tells him, and if, in fact, if you want to turn there to John, uh, John 16, chapter verse, um, verse 16, 
Jesus tells them, "A little while, and you will see me no longer. And again, a little while, and you will see, and you will see me." No, sorry, I'm I'm in the wrong um, verse four, second half of verse four. Chapter 16, verse 4. I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. But now I am going to him who sent me. And none of you asks me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper, that is the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment concerning um, concerning sin because they do not believe in me concerning righteousness because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of Truth comes, He will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me. For he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore I say, he will take what is mine and declare it to you. So we see that the Holy Spirit's job is to glorify Jesus. The Holy Spirit's job is to bear witness about Jesus. And so, in a sense, we can, we can say, okay, if someone claims to be speaking in the Spirit of God, if someone claims to be saying something in the Spirit of God, but the name of Jesus is not being glorified, then we have a really, really good reason to question that that person is really speaking in the Spirit. Let me give you an example. This is, it, this is crazy, but it is real. I was uh, talking to a, to a pastor from... from um, not from here. Don't worry. You, you don't know him. But I was talking to a pastor who said that during one of the, their Sunday gatherings, this man stood up and started to prophesy. And so, uh, number one, the things that he was prophesying, quote, were not in line with Scripture. But here's the crazy thing. His wife actually told him to stop. And he just turned around and slammed his wife, or sorry, smacked her. And so, you know, everyone is shocked. And, and of course, this pastor tells him to sit down and, and you know, it's a, it's a big ordeal. Now, the crazy, one of the crazy things is that this guy ended up dividing the church and several people went and followed him. And so I guess when he, when he hit his wife, he said, do not, do not interrupt the Holy Spirit. I mean, do you, do you think that he was actually speaking in the Spirit? If the Spirit's job is to glorify the name of Jesus, do you think it was glorifying to God what he did? But the problem is that a lot of people are impressed by the gift themselves, which in this case, it was not even a gift, right? But people are impressed by those displays of supernatural things. And so I guess half of the church went and followed this guy. But remember, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, will always glorify God. We need the empowerment of the Holy Spirit in order to be Jesus' witnesses. When we're speaking in the Spirit, we're not speaking necessarily, we're not, 
We're not speaking to glorify ourselves. We're not speaking to glorify other things. We're speaking to glorify the name of Jesus. On the other hand, like it was the case with the, with the Corinthians, spiritual maturity is not determined by the exercise of the spiritual gifts. So in other words, when someone is exercising a spiritual gift, that doesn't necessarily mean that that person is, you know, the most mature believer out there. And we see that from the Corinthians, right? They are arguably the most immature church that the Apostle Paul wrote to. And these guys are overly practicing the spiritual gifts. These guys are speaking in tongues left and right. These guys, some of them are prophesying to the point that they interrupt each other in their prophecies. So the fact that someone has a spiritual gift is not necessarily a proof or a, or a test that this person is a spiritual person. If we think about it, God can speak through anyone. Remember King Saul? Was he a spiritual guy? Was he a spiritually mature person? However, when he was uh, chasing after David, he started to prophesy. And it was God's way to stop him. And it was God's way to glorify himself. I mean, if God spoke through a donkey, God can speak through anyone. And in the end, the beautiful thing is that only God's name will be glorified. This doesn't mean, however, that we can just, you know, exercise the gifts however we want. No, there is a right way to do it. That's why Paul is writing to the Corinthians, right? He identifies that there is a problem in the Corinthian church. He identifies that they are wrongly using the gift of tongues. They're wrongly using their gifts. They're just using them to, to show how great they are. But Paul doesn't just say, you know what? Stop it all together. Stop speaking in tongues. Stop prophesying. Stop doing these things. Rather, he tells them, okay, I'm going to show you a more excellent way. I'm going to show you how you are supposed to actually exercise these gifts. I'm going to show you how to speak in tongues. If you speak in tongues and there's no interpreter, then don't speak in tongues. If you have a prophecy and someone else has to prophesy, well, then stop prophesying and let the other person prophesy. Right? So he gives them principles on how to practice these spiritual gifts, but he doesn't just stop the thing altogether, which is, in my opinion, is one of the things that our cessationist brothers and sisters have done. They identify a problem and say, oh, see, like, see all the abuses in, in Pentecostal churches happening or charismatic churches happening. Let's stop spiritual gifts altogether. That's not what Paul does. He says, okay, there are abuses in the church of Corinth let me show you how you are supposed to exercise your spiritual gift. So one of the things that he wants the Corinthians to understand, and one of the things that we need to understand when we begin to talk about spiritual gifts, is that the word itself, gift, the Greek is charismata, which it comes from the, it comes from the word grace, which is charis. So it basically means that these gifts are a gift of grace. This means that they are from God. This means that there is nothing that we can do to earn them, to deserve them. We cannot work hard enough for God to say, oh, you know, he's behaved so well, I'm going to give him a gift. No. God sovereignly 
out of his free will and his grace, gives us unmerited gifts. So, for example, I, I've been thinking about the word gifted, right? Whenever we see a person, maybe a, a, a good preacher or, or someone who, who is a great evangelist, sometimes we use, oh, wow, he or she is such a gifted evangelist. And, you know, I understand what we mean, but I feel like sometimes the connotation is almost a praise to this person. Like, wow, they are so gifted. You know, they're so good. But in reality, when we understand that the gifts, the spiritual gifts are given to us by God's grace, we cannot take any of the credit, right? If I'm a great evangelist, I cannot take any of the credit because it is a gift from God. If you're great at hospitality, you cannot take any of the credit because it is a gift from God. If you're great in service, you cannot take any of the credit. It is a gift from God. It's not something that you worked for. It's not something that you practiced. It's not something that you trained in. It's a gift of God given absolutely by His grace and in His sovereignty. And we see that uh, chapter 12, 1 Corinthians 12, verse 4. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Verse 11. And these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. The Spirit, the Holy Spirit is God. Right? We, we all believe that. The Holy Spirit is God. And therefore, one of his attributes is that he is sovereign. In other words, he does whatever he pleases. No one tells the Spirit of God. No one tells God what to do. So God in his sovereignty, he gives gifts to people sovereignly. However he pleases, however he wants to give to give those gifts. So in other words, we cannot twist God's arm to give us a gift, right? We can say, man, you know, I really, really want to speak in tongues. And so I'm just gonna, uh, I'm, I'm going to stay awake all night praying with my hands up. And by the end of the night, I'm going to receive the gift of tongues. No, that's not how it works. There is nothing that we can do to twist God's arm into giving us a particular spiritual gift. Now, that doesn't mean that we can pray for that gift. That doesn't mean that we can uh, uh, desire that gift. In fact, we are commanded to eagerly desire the higher gifts. We are commanded to eagerly desire to prophesy. So it doesn't mean that we can't desire them, but it does mean that we can't twist God's arm to give us the one gift that we would like to have. And one of the things that that might help us understand this a little bit better is that one of the criteria that the Spirit uses to give or to apportion gifts is the common good of the church. Right? So, I, I mean, obviously, God is God and he knows, he, he knows why He gives certain gifts to certain people. 
But one of the reasons that we have here in verse 7 is that he gives the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good of the church. So his purpose in giving a variety of gifts, to some people he gave them the gift of prophecy, to some people he gave them the gift of the gift of tongues, the gift of hospitality, the gift of service, of teaching, of, of shepherding, of evangelism, of administration, of helps. Uh, there, there are a variety of gifts. But one of the criteria that he uses to give those gifts is the common good of the church. And that is one of the main purposes of the gifts, is to build up the church, the body of Christ. The purpose of the gifts is not self-exaltation. The purpose of the gifts is not saying, oh, look at how gifted I am. Look at all these things that I'm doing. For Yeah, they're for God, but look at, look at me. No. The purpose of the gifts are for the building up of the body. So I want to ask you, and, and really I want us to think through a couple, of, a couple of questions to help us find some implications about this. If the Holy Spirit gives gifts, for the common good of the church, do you think that it is for the common good of the church that everyone has one gift? For example, do you think it's for, for the common good of the church if everyone speaks in tongues? No. Or is it for the common good of the church if every single member of the church um, has the gift of hospitality? No, I mean, it, you know, it would be great. It would be awesome if everyone had the gift of hospitality. But if they only had the gift of hospitality and no other gift, I feel like we would be running into the case where like, you know, he says, not the whole body is an eye. Not the whole body is, is an ear, right? There are a variety of gifts. And so like it says in Ephesians chapter 4, the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. For a body to function, it has to have all of its members, right? If there's a body with no legs, then it's a lot harder for it to function. If there is a body with no eyes, it is a lot harder for this body to function. And so in the body of Christ, there are different members, and when all of the members are working properly, the body is functioning, and the body is being, is being built build, uh, up in love. Now, another question to help us think about this is, do you think that it is for the common good of the body that one or two people have 90% of the spiritual gifts and then the rest of the church have the other 10%. A lot of churches today, that's the expectation that they have of their pastor or their pastors, right? A lot of churches today expect the pastor to have the gift of evangelism, the gift of teaching, gift of, uh, gift of shepherding, gift of service, gift of hospitality, gift of prophecy, uh, utterance of wisdom, utterance of knowledge, a gift of exhortation, you know, and the list goes on. And then the, the, the regular members, which, of course, I don't believe that there's a difference between 
between a higher member and a regular member, but when you expect one or two men to have 90% of the gifts, then naturally you say, oh, so I guess the expectation for me is just to have the service, the, the gift of maybe service or hospitality. But do you think that's the way it's supposed to work? Do you think that the Spirit says, okay, I'm going to choose one super, you know, like uh, a tremendously gifted individual. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to invest all of my gifts on this person and then to the rest of the church, I'm just going to give them the gift of hospitality. No. No, it says that the, this Holy Spirit gives a variety of gifts. The Holy Spirit spreads those gifts among the church. And so this means that we are not expectators. This means that we are not just here sitting down and, and, uh, and letting one or two people do all the, all the work while we just sit down and enjoy the show. No. No, church is not supposed to be a show. Church is supposed to be a body. I'm just one of the members of the body. Jordan is just one of the members of the body. Amy's one of the members. Doug is one of the members. Dave is one of the members. Sandra, Simon is are one are, are ones of the, one of the members. We are all members of the body of Christ. And we all have a specific function. We all have a specific gift that has been given to us. And we have to use the gifts that we have been given individually for the building up of the body. Listen to what Peter tells uh, uh, his readers in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10. He says, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. So from, from what Peter is saying, we can gather several things, but one of the things that we can gather is that each believer has received at least one gift. There is no Christian, there is no person who has received the Holy Spirit who doesn't have at least one gift. If you are a member of the body, if you have declared that Jesus is Lord, if you have been saved and if you have been born again, then you have at least one gift. And if you don't know what your gift or your gifts are, then I strongly encourage you to find out. I strongly encourage you to pray and ask God to show you what is the spiritual gift that he has given you or the gifts. I encourage you to ask your spouse. I encourage you to ask uh, uh, the elders of the church. I encourage you to ask a mature, believing friend, hey, what do you think my spiritual gift or gifts are? What do you see in, in me that maybe, you know, shows you, okay, yeah, maybe you have this gift. So this is one of the reasons why we're doing this study because we want to encourage the whole church to find out what their spiritual gift is so that we can all put it to good use. And this is encouraging because it means that, you know, even if the, 
the financial picture is not looking great, well, really, we are here to build up the body of Christ. We're not here to build this building. It would be nice to fix a few of the things in this building, right? But if we sell the building, it doesn't matter because we are the body of Christ and we are building one another up in love. But we need to use that gift that we have been given. Another thing that we learned from 1 Peter, it says that we have to use this gift to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. So what we learn is that when we use the spiritual gift that we have been given, we become stewards. We become administrators of God's grace. We become the vehicle of God's grace to others. Right? So there, there are means of grace. Like when we take communion, we, you know, we experience God's grace. And, and when we get baptized, we experience God's grace. But this passage says that when we use our gift to build one another, to serve one another, we are administering God's grace to others. And so one of the implications of this is that if we neglect gathering with the church, if we neglect gathering with the saints, we are depriving ourselves from God's grace being administered to us by the gifts of our fellow brothers and sisters. If you are not gathering with the church on a regular basis, if you are not committed to a local body of believers, you are robbing yourself of God's grace administered through the body of Christ, through your fellow believers. And not only that, but you are also robbing your brothers and sisters from your gift. When you do not regularly gather with a group of believers, you are withholding your gift that in reality is not yours. It's God's gift to you. You are withholding it from your fellow believers. And so that's one of the main reasons why we gather together. In Hebrews, it says, Do not neglect the gathering of the saints. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as it is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So one of the reasons why we gather with one another is to stir one another to love and good works is to use our gifts to stir one another to love and good works. But how are we going to use our gift if we are neglecting the gathering of the saints? How are we going to experience the ministering of our brothers and sisters if we are neglecting the gathering of the saints? Right, going back to our passage in, in 1 Corinthians, right? The, the eye cannot say, verse 21, the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are, sorry, are indispensable. We cannot tell someone else, some other member of the body, oh, I have no need of you. We cannot tell the whole church, oh, I have no need of them. I can just watch sermons online and, and I can, you know, I listen to worship music at home. I have no need of these people. No, you do. God, built, God 
designed the body of Christ in such a way that we need one another. We need one another's gifts. Now, I want to finish our... Well, actually, sorry. Before, before I go to the, to the ending, one, one more thing. Maybe just help, to help us think a little bit more practically about this. Maybe you say, okay, uh, I don't think I have the gift of evangelism. You know, I really want to, to preach the gospel to my neighbor, and, and I really want to be a witness of Jesus to him, but I just don't, don't feel like I have the gift. And so maybe you see that your fellow believer, maybe you see that, you know, let's say Jimmy, who is not here, <laughs> maybe you think, you know, but I actually think that Jimmy has the gift of evangelism. And I think I have the gift of hospitality. So I'm going to invite my neighbor over to my house. I'm going to use the gift that God has given me, the gift of hospitality. And then I'm going to invite Jimmy to my house. And so together, we're going to minister to this person. I'm going to minister by using my gift of hospitality. And maybe my wife has the spirit of the, the, the gift of service. And so together, now we have three members of the body ministering to this person. And then, you know, if someone comes and has the gift of prophecy, like we're going to see in, verse, in chapter 14, and this person actually starts to speak to this unbeliever in a way that they're like, whoa, how do they know these things that they're saying about me? So all of a sudden, you have four people from the body of Christ ministering to this unbeliever, making use of their gift of hospitality, service, evangelism, and prophecy, right? So this is just, you know, it's just an example, but I think it is a good, it is good for us to be thinking about these things. And we're going to get more practical as we, as we look into chapters 13 and 14. But I encourage you, and I want to give you the assignment, if you allow me, I want to give you the assignment of reading chapters 12, 13, and 14. If you want to read them twice or even three times, even better. And as you read through them, well, number one, ask God, ask the Holy Spirit to give you, to illumine you, to help you understand His Word. And ask God and the Holy Spirit, ask Him to reveal to you what is your spiritual gift. And to be thinking about ways that you can use your spiritual gift to serve the body of Christ, to serve Him, to glorify Him. Because remember, ultimately, the end goal, the end purpose of the spiritual gifts is that Jesus is glorified through the church. So let us close with this. Um, this last point is, is really more of a, of, of a doxology, and, and I want us to put on our theology caps for a moment here. The Holy Spirit glorifies God through Jesus, by giving us gifts. So let's think about this for a moment. The gifts of the Spirit are one of the evidences of God's dwelling with His people. And we talked about this when we were looking at, at the book of Joel. So in other words, when we are gathered as a church, and we are exercising the spiritual gifts, we are showing others and we are, we are showing evidence 
that God is dwelling among us. And so if an unbeliever walks into this gathering or if an unbeliever walks into one of our missional communities or if we invite an unbelieving friend into one of our DNA groups and we are exercising our spiritual gifts, then we are showing evidence. We are giving this person an, an apology, not in the sense of apologizing, but in the sense of defending the presence of God among us. The gifts are an evidence that the Spirit of God is in our midst. But the gifts are also an evidence of the work of Jesus on the cross. The gifts, one of the main things about the gifts, and, and something that we didn't really touch a whole lot on, in this, but it, it is in this chapter, is the concept of the unity of the body. So the fact that we have gifts and the fact that we are using them to build one another up means that Jesus has purchased us with his blood. He has redeemed us with his blood and he has made us members of his body. He has made us a family. And so when we exercise our gifts, we are bringing glory to Christ because essentially we are saying, thank you, Jesus, for bringing me into this family. I want to use the gift that you have given me to continue to build up your body. Another, another thing about the spiritual gifts is that they are one of the evidences of the resurrection of Jesus, and they are one of the evidences that Jesus has been exalted and is reigning right now. He is at the right hand of God, and he is reigning. Why? Well, remember what Peter says in, in uh, Acts chapter 2. He is preaching at the Sermon of Pentecost. And in, in chapter 2, verse 27, sorry, verse 29, he says, Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David, that he both died and was buried. And his tomb is with us to this day, being therefore a prophet, and knowing that God has sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne. He foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of, and of that we all are witnesses, being therefore exalted to the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this day. Sorry, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. So in other words, Peter is telling his audience, the fact that you are seeing the Spirit of God in display right now, the fact that you are seeing these people speaking in tongues and prophesying is proof that Jesus has been resurrected, that Jesus has been exalted, and that he is at the right hand of God. And so when we exercise our gifts, we are in a sense declaring that Jesus is Lord that Jesus is king, that Jesus is alive, that Jesus is reigning. And so if, if you think about it, this, you know, even though the, the concept of cessationism versus continuationism might be a little more secondary, the concept of spiritual gifts is not secondary. Because if we truly believe 
that God is real, that God is in our midst, that Jesus died for our sins and he brought us into his body and that Jesus rose again and that he was exalted at the right hand of God and that he is currently reigning, then we can display that belief that we have by exercising the spiritual gifts that he has given us. And let us remember, we need to use these gifts first and foremost for the glory of God. And secondly, for the building up of the body of Christ. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your spirit. We thank you for the empowerment that we have received from your spirit to be your witnesses. To declare that you are our Lord. We thank you for your work, Lord Jesus. We thank you that you died on the cross for us, that you shed your blood for us, that your body was broken so that we would become members of your body. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you have been, that you were resurrected, that you were exalted, that you receive the promised Holy Spirit and you send him to us. Lord, I pray that you give us wisdom and understanding and humility as we look into this topic of the spiritual gifts. And that you would lead us and guide us in how to best exercise these gifts for your glory, for the building up of your body. Lord, please help us to take this call to to really learn and understand the gift that you've given us, Lord, and to put it to good use in your church. Help us not to just sit on the sidelines and watch the others do the work. Help us to work together as a body where all the joints are are doing their part, all the or each member is doing their part, Lord. Thank you for bringing us into your kingdom. We praise you, Lord. We give you glory. In Jesus' name, amen.